1: Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hey, everyone. You're about to hear a great conversation with Victoria Van Stone. Just a heads up, this episode contains discussions of alcohol use and binge drinking. So if you have little ears listening, maybe grab some headphones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from the What Fresh Help podcast. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Victoria Vanstone of Drunk Mummy Sober Mummy.com. Victoria is a British born mum who lives on the Sunshine Coast in Australia. We won't be too mad that it's sunshiny where she is and not where we are. I mean, we may be mad, but we're going to try to keep it to ourselves. We're a little mad. <laughs> We're going to interview her anyway. Victoria has three noisy children, a very patient husband, and a confused dog. And she has been writing about her journey to sobriety in motherhood for the past three years. When she isn't at her computer, you can find her crying alone in the shower or hiding from her children at a local cafe with a peppermint tea and a large slice of chocolate brownie. Welcome, Victoria. Hi, guys. Nice to see you. Peppermint tea (laughs) sounds so good to me right now, I have to say.
2: So how old are your kids? My kids are, um, son is just turned two. I have a daughter that's just turned five. And another, my eldest son is has just turned nine. Oh, you're still in it. Yeah, I had a surprise baby at 42, which was one of those ones where I was kind of like, oh, that Jack Johnson concert, <laughs> that <laughs> night
1: away. Uh, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So your story, Victoria, your journey to sobriety is sort of not the sort of traditional one that you hear of like your bottom was like you, you know, crashed because a 10 car crash over a cliff and not this spectacular flame out you would read about in Us Weekly. It was a sort of more a smaller and yet no less important sort of
2: lightning bolt from the sky. I think people want to hear that. They want the drama of the extreme rock bottoms. I think when people hear drunk mummy, sober mummy, they probably flick to an image of me passed out in a pile of vomit with a baby crawling over me. But that wasn't the case at all. I've always been a binge drinker throughout my life. I'm from a very kind of party family. And the repercussions of that were that I became a sort of party girl. And that was how I represented myself and made friends and kept friends throughout my life, was to be the one that had the VIP passes, the one that stayed up later than everybody else. But that drinking is kind of clever, it got absorbed into the crowd and my drinking was diluted by all the people around me because I surrounded myself with people that drank a lot. So that's sort of where I was sitting in a gray area of drinking, which meant I probably went under the radar for a bit far too long. Under your own radar, you mean? Well, I just, I think it was so ingrained in me to be a drinker that I couldn't see beyond it, like to imagine a life as a sober person. I mean, I hated sober people. If there was someone that wasn't drinking around me, I just thought they were the biggest party pooper in the world. I didn't trust them. I couldn't understand why would somebody not drink? It had been a long time coming because... You know, I was drinking from a young age, stealing bottles of wine out of my parents' garage. It led into my twenties and my thirties, where I used alcohol to be the only person I knew. And that's difficult to pinpoint because as mums, I know we do lean, we lean on these wines to get us through. And that's what I started to do. My drinking did change over the years, but it carried on um, to the point where I couldn't drink and parent. And it just was a, a two worlds were colliding when I had children, and that was the point where I really had to reflect upon my own behavior.
0: And when you say had children, as you have three children, was this a revelation that happened the moment you became pregnant with your first child? You know, the scales fell. Again, the story we think is like, oh, we are party girls and I loved a good time in my day. And then like, oh, I'm pregnant. Now let everything fall away and I will become the angelic mother to the child. And I think that story is often,
2: shall we say, misguided as well. I mean, I wish it was that story. I would love to tell you that I had a, an epiphany as soon as that those two lines showed up on You're that right. pregnancy test. But these things are long and tumultuous journeys. When I had my son, when I did that pregnancy test that day, I did stop drinking. So I had nine months, a little window of sobriety, which I'd never had before. And actually, I got married in that time. I was three months pregnant on my wedding day. And my wedding day was actually my first real proper sober event, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was just like, oh, I'll just start drinking again once the baby comes. So I experienced something new on my wedding day, which was me being able to communicate, having a good time, absorbing all the love that was around me on that really special day. And I could function as a human being. I was still me, which was really surprising. Once all that ethanol had drained from my blood, I was still able to be fun. I was still able to have a laugh and a joke with my mates. So during that period, I was like, oh, who is this person? And I quite like her, but I'm not sure whether I'm quite ready to acquaint myself and accept her into my life. And be her full time, right? Yeah, and be her full time. I mean, what was that? I had an inkling of it, but I couldn't quite comprehend it. And, you know, I, the transition from party girl to motherhood for me was major. I went from being going out every night and being this fun time girl to being stuck at home, changing nappies doing all the mundane things I hated. You know, I loved that baby when it was born more than anything in the whole world. But the sort of length between the gaps with me not going out sort of accentuated my need to go and get wasted. So I got very bored early on in my after the baby was born. And my only release, the only way I knew how to escape motherhood was to go and go to the pub. So that's what I did. I carried on. You know, as you're saying this, it occurs to me that
1: I did not drink very much at home before becoming a parent. There was no reason to because your life was your own. You could go where you wanted when you wanted. And I really only started having a glass of wine to unwind at night when I became a parent. I never really thought about that before, that my own drinking habits, which are, you know, mostly social and which I don't usually perceive as problematic, did change with parenthood. And that sort of That cloistering that happens can bring problems of its own. I'd never really thought about that.
2: Yeah, it really definitely accentuated my indulgence in some way because I was feeling all stressed all the time because, you know, suddenly instead of being in charge of a bottle of wine, I was in charge of a life. And for me, that was all encompassing and the stress of that and not being able to breastfeed and all of these other things led me to want to release in a different way. And so, you know, the weeks would pass where I'd be a perfect mom and I'd have the right wraps, the paleo snacks and just be this, (laughs) you know, this rosy cheeked breastfeeding machine. And then it would just build up, build up, build up until I'd be on the phone with my mother's group going, right, come on, girls, what should we do? Where should we go? And nights that would start out, I you know, I always went out with good intentions as all of us do. But for me, one wasn't enough and two was too many. So there was no line. As soon as that second glass was down my neck, I was like, right, let's get this party started and ripping my shirt off to, you know, Bon Jovi on the dance floor. So... <laughs> There was no control. That was what I started to discover after I had children was there was no control. But it wasn't really the drinking. You know, I never did anything too outrageous after I became a mum. I mean, there was probably a few stupid things like falling over at taxi ranks. And, but it just wasn't a really good look. But the main thing that happened, that how my drinking changed, was that each Sunday after every bender, I woke up with a massive hangover. And as you probably know, or not, hangovers and children are a no-go. No, bad combination.
0: Yes. (laughs) I think it's interesting. This is something I've talked to several friends of mine who have quit drinking later in their life. And I think I've heard reflected from them this idea that like, The fun drunk is not as easily perceived or the fun drinker, I should say, is not as easily perceived as the kind of problem drinker. A lot of the people who I know who got sober in their 20s were the people who would drink, get in fights, commit crimes, get arrested (laughs) and then like go on to other problematic behaviors. But that friends of mine Who've said to me, I quit drinking and I was kind of honestly surprised, like, oh, I never really perceived you as a person who had any issue with alcohol. But what they would say is because I always perceived they were really fun and oh, it just seemed like a good time, but that it was taking a slower but just as deep toll on them.
2: Yeah, I think it's more of a private toll. Mm. I mean, the only person that witnessed my anxiety was my husband because there's nothing going on outside of the house. There's nothing serious, as you say, like crimes being committed. And there's nothing, there's no drama you know, it's a very silent process. I mean, mm. my husband was the person who was bringing me the paracetamol and holding my hair back, you know, while I vomited mm. tequila shots into the toilet. It was a very silent and almost, yeah, the silence of it makes it almost worse because it's like a secret almost. I mean, my drinking was never a secret. The thing about my drinking was that it was very sociable and that's why it got missed. It's a hard one really because of what I've discovered recently is that there is a, actually a massive spectrum I feel funny about using the word alcoholic even because that conjures up the wrong image I think this spectrum that sits as a long line and I realize after getting sober that I sat on there at some point it perhaps wasn't far down the line but I was definitely on the middle there and the fact that my drinking was causing negative repercussions in my life was really the wake up call that I needed there were lots of wake up calls I mean I don't know whether you can see on there read the listeners won't be able to but I'm a finger short of most there's I blew my finger off with a firework on the millennium night I, you know there was crazy stuff that happened to me when I was drinking but I never put it down to the alcohol It wasn't until I had children that I had to really look at my own behavior Mm. Let's take a break and when we come back I want to talk about the sort
1: of spectrum that you talk about of Troubles with alcohol and how we might be thinking of it the wrong way Margaret i've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life Can you guess what it is? Amy three guesses first two don't count it's pampers swaddlers So there's a new book out that people have been talking about in the United States. It's called Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker. And it got a lot of attention because Chrissy Teigen recently put a picture of it up on Instagram and said, I've read this book. It's amazing. And I'm going to quit drinking and in a very brave and public way. And in that book, Holly Whitaker says kind of what you were just saying before, Victoria, that we are conditioned to think that there are two types of drinkers. There's normal drinking and there's Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Like your life is a dumpster fire and anything short of that is fine. And if you were an alcoholic who needed help, you'd know because you'd be in jail, right? Like, but that there isn't a spectrum. It's very one or the other. And she argues that that sort of dichotomy is, it means we don't spend a lot of time wondering if alcohol should be in our lives or not. She talks about like cigarettes, like when you pick up a cigarette in 2021, you're pretty aware that it's toxic. You're pretty aware that that's a problematic choice you're making, but that, of course, alcohol is very different. And so what was it for you when you decided you needed help? Like what was the sort of light bulb
2: moment? Was there one moment? It was drawn out over the next four years after having my first child. I carried on that behavior, probably drinking once a month or once every two weeks. And the anxiety was deteriorating. So I got pregnant again, had another baby and six weeks out after my daughter was born, the mundaneity of motherhood almost kind of overwhelmed me and I went out and got drunk. And that was one hungover too many. The next morning I woke up with a crying six week old baby, a four year old to look after. And it had got to the point where my anxiety was, I was lying in bed most Sunday mornings, feeling like I wanted to die. I mean, it was that bad. The alcohol was causing my brain to have irrational thoughts it was causing an imbalance it was causing mental health if it really comes down to it there was a mental health problem caused when I over and that was I just couldn't even move my head that morning I was so ill and all I could hear was my husband getting the children ready to go to the park and I thought gosh what am I doing and I realized me lying in bed all day on a Sunday it wasn't about me it ended up not being about me I mean the panic was terrible I realized that my children weren't feeling my love when I'm sat in a room on my own feeling awful. It was I felt like I was selfish and my hangover was selfish and my children were going to the park without me. And I walked out into the lounge and said to my husband, I cannot do this anymore. I'm trying to moderate, which is a myth for me. Every time I go out, I have good intentions and I fail. I cannot do this anymore and I need professional help. And what did that look like for you? I didn't feel as many people do that my drinking was extreme enough to go to an AA meeting. And also I wasn't ready to stand up and I didn't really know that I had a problem then. I knew that it was causing these repercussions in my life, but I was still like, oh, I'm just a silly binge drinker and I just need to slow down a bit. I knew there was something going on that I couldn't control, but I didn't felt like I was that extreme. So I ended up which is not the case, actually, if I had gone to an AA meeting, I'm sure they would have welcomed me with open arms. And that does work for many, many people. But yeah, it's right. just not the path I chose. I ended up finding a lady who was a professional in that area about dealing with addictions. I phoned her up that morning and said, look, I'm a bit of a binge drinker and I'm a mum, and I'm questioning my behavior. And I thought she'd say, don't worry about it, love. You know, you'll be fine. <laughs> You're fine. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> that didn't happen. Yeah, no. And then I had therapy and learnt my reasons why.
0: I think it's interesting, you know, there's a whole re-examination going on right now of kind of mommy wine culture and the whole, you know, it's Chardonnay o'clock, moms. And I don't know if this is as prevalent in Australia, but in the U.S., there's just a lot of Chardonnay slay all day, got yoga for wine, you know. And I think it is this idea that We deserve wine because we work so hard. We deserve wine because our lives are really hard. And it's kind of an annoying cliche and it's something that's probably suboptimal and unhealthy. But at the same time, I get it. I find, especially during the pandemic, that all of my bad habits are exacerbated by this feeling of like, you won't take this from me. You've taken everything from me, children and husband. You've taken my freedom. You've taken my Jeep that I used to drive around LA in my convertible. Now I have a minivan that smells like feet. Like you've taken everything from me and you won't take my Doritos and you won't take my six pack of beer. And I think that it's something that whether or not it rises to the level where you want to quit those things or just find moderation in them, how do you fight back against the story for yourself, which is like, I deserve this? I mean,
2: that is a huge learning process. And sobriety is... I mean after I finished that those therapy sessions I did walk out you know with a spring in my step thinking wow this is amazing I'm never going to drink again and my life is just going to soar from this point onwards <laughs> actually sobriety is a whole other story it's a hard place to get to come to terms with the fact that you might not ever drink again but then you have you're faced with those situations that you're talking about. I have no wind down, but that's a mental thing. Like those things that are ingrained in us. Those feelings of we need a wine to wind down. They are a fallacy. They're just something that media and and lifestyle and those memes, those mummy wine memes. They're just things that are subliminally pumped into us. I mean, and it always made me feel like it was my deluded destiny to be a binge drinker. So there was all these influences. I was only able to stop drinking when I realised that it was my responsibility. It was my hand reaching out for the glass of wine. It was my hand popping off the beer bottle top. When I took responsibility for it and realised it was none of these influences that was actually when I was able to stop because those things, you know, you can say yes and no, and you understand that those things don't have to enter your life if you don't need them to. And so sobriety for me is really about becoming my authentic self, which is extremely confronting (laughs) because I've never met her before. I've never met this sober person, this kind of boring person that I am now, which I would like the drunk me would have said, who is that person? Get her out. Partly because I didn't want anyone around me who would remember my behavior. I think (laughs) Mm. I didn't want someone telling me the next day that I was rolling around on a dance floor covered in disco dirt. So (laughs) I preferred not to be around sober people. And I guess people feel that way about me now, but I'm not (laughs) spending a lot of time at nightclubs anymore. I can assure you. But, yeah, it's a whole different journey, but a journey of growth and starting to like myself and understand myself without those moments of need. I mean, I do get cravings occasionally, especially on holiday and things, things where you associate drinking with certain environments. But I choose to play the tape forward, I call it, which is just sit there with it and imagine it's not it's not a situation of one glass or one cocktail for me. It's me downing the cocktail, getting onto the port, then you know, t- chatting the barman up until he gives me a free glass of wine. It's not a simple situation drinking for me. Mm. So that's what I have to do in those moments when I need that release. I have to think about how drinking affects me overall. And the outcome for me is never, ever good. I could never say I had a brilliant night and how classy I was when I was swung around the danceway. It's not that. It's me rolling around and being a mess. So I have to sit down and and absorb those thoughts and go, right, Pour me a glass of water, please, husband. <laughs>
1: You talked in your essay in Motherwell Magazine. I'm put the link in the show notes about how you've gotten your Sunday mornings back with sober life. And I thought that was an angle I had never considered before. That choosing to be sober is not only self abnegation. Well, farewell, you know, self who loved things. You know, farewell wine. Right, I loved it, and now I can't have it because I'm a. Bad mom if I have it, I guess. No, that for you there have been concrete benefits. Maybe it took some time to fully realize them, but your life got better in some ways after becoming sober. So I was hoping you could talk about that a little more.
2: My life has got better in every way, I would say. I mean it's not clear for everybody outside of my house, but I don't have anxiety anymore, which is huge. I used to dread going out in the end towards the end of my drinking because I knew I couldn't control myself. I knew my behavior so well that when a Facebook message would pop up with an invite on it, I would instantly dread the event because I knew I would get drunker than everybody else and just wake up with anxiety again. So I started not to go out. So now I'm experiencing a new life where not only am I capable of being exactly who I am but my brain is the gears have kicked in again you know I'm able to write and function and and just be myself which is something that is I've had ups and downs with it because it's whenever I go out now it's like a bright light is shining on me. You can't numb out. You can't drink through conversations. You can't just go and dance. It feels awkward because you're sober and I'm just not used to it. It's just about getting used to all these situations. But I would definitely say that my life is better in many ways. I exercise more. I eat better. My relationships are better. My children are happier. And for me, it was about breaking a cycle of binge drinking. I'm from a big binge drinking family and it was never an option for me to not drink. It was my way of being accepted into society and into the world and, you know, close relatives. So for them, they won't have that. That's my hope, you know, call me in 18 years when they're I'm bailing them out of the penitentiary. <laughs> but that's my hope is that they won't feel that need. They will have their own choices to make about alcohol when they're older. But my hope is that them not seeing me drunk and necking wines will lead them to make better choices. And you're sober for how long now? I've been sober for about 1,030 days, I think it is now.
0: Mm, congrats. Congratulations.
2: Yeah, so that place, I call it a Pinot Gris purgatory, is, where, <laughs> is that line between the pub and an AA meeting where I believe a lot of women, especially mums, fall through the cracks. I like to focus on that. So that is just a really interesting gray area of drinking, which is where a lot of people miss out on getting help. I feel like a lot of women don't feel that their drinking is worthy of help because it isn't at that extreme point. But I definitely believe that if your drinking is affecting your life in a negative way, then therefore, perhaps it's time to reach out. I want to talk more about this gray
0: area because I feel like this is somewhere that I want to focus on as soon as we're back after this break. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast
1: is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing.
0: We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It
1: Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O.co
0: and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread.
3: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. So Victoria, we're talking
0: about this gray area, and it really strikes me this anxiety thing because... I know that for myself, and I am someone who drinks occasionally, I, but I feel like a lot of, I put this in my general category of, I go to bad habits when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling overwhelmed. And I think that for a lot of people, alcohol, the idea that anxiety could be better without alcohol seems really confusing. Like for me, I know that anxiety, there are days, the days where I say I need a drink at the end of the day are the days where like it's all gone wrong. I'm super anxious. I'm mad at my husband. My kids are driving me crazy. I'm questioning all my life choices. Like the idea that could somehow be better
2: without alcohol, confusing. So what does that look like? When you do that, is, does the alcohol have any negative repercussions upon your life at
0: all? That's a good question. I think that it did more when I was younger and now I have such a low tolerance for alcohol that it doesn't as much as it used to. I think I used to, when I was socially anxious, have seven drinks because then I became fun, Meg. But uh, there was definitely a time for me where I felt like I was a lot more fun having a bunch of drinks. And then, yes, the next day was a lost day. I had my first kid at 37, so I kind of stopped doing a lot of that stuff before I got married and had kids. And then I don't think that alcohol ever became like a motherhood crutch for me as much because I was kind of my drinking kind of peaked in my early 30s. And now I'm like, oh, I get very bad acid when I have a drink, so I don't do it that much.
2: Yeah, it's funny because it's the kind of thing that people with this kind of level of drinking, the thought of not having that wind down wine or that wind down six pack, as you say, that's quite overwhelming. For me, not having it is no different. It's I know I can wind down with a cup of tea. I found Hmm. I can get through those moments if I go for a walk or I can, you know, maybe punch a wall occasionally. (laughs) I don't know. Like there are different ways of dealing it rather than pouring a toxic substance into my body. I mean, if we put it in black and white, that's what we're doing. Right. And it's just considering another option and going, well, we know it's not healthy to drink, so therefore – For me to wind down, is there something else? And that's what sober curiosity is about. There's this big Mm. movement called Sober Curious, and it's about questioning those moments and saying, actually, is there another way I can deal with this issue rather than alcohol? Because we all know that alcohol causes so many problems to our body. Everybody knows the statistics. 70% of all hospital administrations at the weekend, it's all alcohol-related, domestic abuse. I mean, it's all very frivolous, this mummy time for wine thing. But the reality of alcohol is much, much more serious than these wind-down wines. Mm. And those can develop. And sometimes you might have two wines to wind down. Then you might have three these things can develop and then suddenly you'll find yourself on this spectrum somewhere. I'm not saying that that would happen to everybody. I mean, some people, you know, are very controlling with their drinking and and perhaps that isn't so much of an issue. I just think it's good to find a healthy way to relax. I mean, it's very funny me saying that because, you know, I have been a massive binge drinker for 25 years. So I know what it's like to feel like you need those wines, but what I'm finding with, Being sober is that I don't need those wines. I can just relax and be myself, not have to worry about the next day and not have to pour something down my neck to escape the mundane of being a mum, which it can be sometimes. You know, it is stressful and annoying and the arguments and the repetitiveness. It is annoying and stressful, if we're honest. And we love those little brats more than anything in the world. But there are moments where it's so hard but it's just about finding
1: another option. Can we talk about the sober curious? I am curious what you think that means as opposed to sort of the recovery language and community, which is very black and white, right? You either need this or you don't. And if you need it, you can never look at this stuff again. And I feel like sober curious is maybe in this Pinot Gris purgatory way, sort of letting more people in. Is that how you perceive it?
2: Absolutely. It's definitely opening the door to people like me. I did for the first year of my sobriety. I felt very alone. I didn't realize that there were people like me in this gray area. I thought like, gosh, I, you know, I've got a bit of a problem, but I've got anxiety and I'm not really at AA, but I felt very, very alone. Actually, I didn't really tell anybody that I'd stopped drinking. It felt very private just between me and my family. And when one day I remember going to the library and saying to the lady, oh, do you have any books on alcoholism? And she went really loudly, what botulism? And I was (laughs) like, no. Also interesting, but no. I was like, no. And I had to say alcoholism. It was really (laughs) awkward in the library really loudly. She handed me a book called Sober Curious by Ruby Warrington. And before then, I had felt obviously completely alone. And this book changed things. It opened up a massive community of millions of people that I'd never knew existed. And it made a community for me at last. I mean, I read that book in about two hours. I demolished it. And I just suddenly felt I wasn't alone. It was a wonderful feeling. And from that, you know, I sat at my computer, Google Sober Curious, found Instagram groups, found Facebook groups, found all of these things, all these books, Quit Lit and everything of all these people. A lot of party girls that had become mums is a very, very common theme, Mm. like dealing with that transition to motherhood and realising that drinking isn't going to be part of your life anymore. I mean, it's a huge and amazing scene, which I'm really enjoying being involved with. It's just lovely to know that people understand you. That's the thing with those You know Instagram occasionally Instagram can be good (laughs) that's right right. (laughs) because it's not all this pouting and silly enough it's people going look at me I'm a thousand days sober I'm doing a good thing for myself and this outpouring of love between the sober communities it's really inspirational and for people who might not understand it are all sober curious people people
0: following a program like these groups on Instagram are they all people who no longer drink at all
2: no, that isn't okay. always the case. So, I run a sober social group here on the Sunshine Coast called the Social for Sober Curious Women. So, sober curious means you are all you have to be is questioning your drinking habit. So, if you're waking up on a Sunday morning and going, I'm never drinking again, why do I keep doing this? Why can't I just have two wines and then come home? Why am I got a feather boa and my knickers on backwards? Questions like that. <laughs> <laughs> then, I think you are questioning your drinking, which means you are sober curious. I love that because I do think that thing
0: of you seem really fun and then taking alcohol out of it for people sometimes makes you think like it was the alcohol that made you fun. But like you're fun. You know, there's lots of fun left. It, the alcohol isn't the fun. Yeah.
2: So the alcohol, I'm still me. I'm still exactly the same person i And you might not see me doing the swan dive as often. That's pretty much the only changes. (laughs) I mean, I'm exactly the same. I'm still fun. And that's what's amazing in my group is that people see me and meet me and like, oh, so you can still make a joke and you can still be funny and confident without alcohol. And that's the really beautiful thing is like the support from everybody I know, instead of them going, oh, you're not fun anymore. They're like, they're kind of intrigued by me now. (laughs) All my mates are like, but you're still you, I don't get it. I'm like, all I've done is taken alcohol out of my life, which for me was like taking a massive ball of stress and dumping it in the rubbish bin. And now it's like that whole space is open for me to find other things be creative right i do pottery now i go to boxing classes where i pound a bag instead of a box of wine i mean it's much more rewarding than that bloody hangover i can tell you
1: i've realized i have my own realization around on a night when i don't have a glass of wine i can stay up like 60 to 90 minutes longer and watch that show on netflix i've been really meaning to get to and that's fun too that's a benefit and i don't i'm not dozing at 9:30 because i had a glass of wine with dinner
2: yeah i mean the benefits are just i just can't even Probably list them to you because for me it's just about feeling good and feeling good and feeling happy, much much happier. I mean that is my kind of legless legacy to my children. Is they're gonna? They don't, I haven't got a perfect mum. I still shout like a crazy lunatic a lot of the time, <laughs> and I'm still slamming doors and being crazy. But generally, they have a happier person as a parent, and I think they can feel that. And I hope that's going to be what is the major difference in their lives is that, you know, I'm not going to be locked in a room with a hangover. I'm going to be the one pushing them and swimming in the park without moaning about a headache. I'm just going to be more present. Can you tell us about your website and your Facebook group? Yes. So I have a website. When I started stopping drinking, I started writing, which was really a wonderful thing. I'd always enjoyed writing. And I think perhaps it's replaced my need to entertain people. Yeah. So it's drunkmummysobermummy.com. My sober social group on Facebook is The Sober Social for Sober Curious Women. And I've just finished my book, which is really exciting. I'm hopefully trying to get that published this year. It's called A Thousand Wasted Sundays. And I'll definitely be doing shout outs for that at some point. So, yeah, I'm doing a lot of stuff that I could never have imagined doing when I was drunk. I didn't have time to be creative when I was hungover. So, yeah, come and find me and enjoy my rantings on my website. This was such a great conversation.
0: I love talking to people on the podcast where you can hear the truth of what they're saying in your voice. And I feel like that's really clear from you. Like that joyfulness you have and that hilarious sense of humor. It's like you can hear you don't have to explain to us that you're happy now because like we can all hear it. It's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. This was a terrific conversation. Really appreciated talking to you. And I'm sure our audience really will love this conversation. We'll post links to everywhere you can find Victoria on our website and in the show notes. And Victoria, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Victoria. Thank you, ladies. It's been a pleasure.